0: And good morning, everybody. Before I begin, I brought you all a special surprise today. (laughs) In fact, I brought an extra, extra, extra special surprise. Do you know what that surprise just might be? (laughs) Reverend Josh's magic bag of wonders. And do you know what is in Reverend Josh's magic bag of wonders? Wonders. That is exactly right. I'm going to open this up real quick and show you what I got inside. If the zipper comes undone, there we go. This is something that I wanted to leave behind. It's a pillow that has a big old heart on it, and it symbolizes just, um just a small symbol of the love that you all have shared with me. And I hope some of the love that I'm leaving behind, um, not that I'm moving or anything like that, but... Uh, I uh, got permission from uh, Minister Sheila to leave this up here with B.W. Uh, and all of his little friends uh, for the children's moment, um, but I just want to leave that behind with you all because you all mean so, so much to me. Thank you for letting me slide that in real quick. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, in some ways I never thought this day would come. <laughs> Um, I've been here for a long, long time. I remember when I first came through these doors right here, I was a baby gay. You know what that means? Fresh out of the closet, I was in the process of trying to make sense of who I was and what it meant to reconcile my sexuality and who I was understanding myself to be and accept and a spiritual tradition that had meant so much to me over the years. And I came through, and I came right down this aisle right here, and I remember Philip Thomason was sitting in that seat right there, and right next to him in the little chair was Kimberly Broerman was sitting in that chair right there. And uh, Mike Cordell was sitting where Pastor Carolyn is sitting, and of course Gary Arnold was up in the choir loft doing his thing, and there was this huge lady standing on the front row of the choir with this fiery red hair. She must have been about six foot five. And her name was Miss Julia. (laughs) And I didn't get to know Miss Julia that well, but I saw her and I knew her by legend. And of course, there are many of you that remember Miss Julia from back in the day. And thus began my journey here at this wonderful, beautiful place. Now, when I was in seminary, I uh, was getting a certificate in black church studies. So I spent quite a bit of time in black churches all around the metro Atlanta area. And I also was doing my contextual education uh, at Trinity United Methodist Church, which is down by the state capitol, which was the first reconciling congregation in the state of Georgia. Uh, And then I also spent some time at St. Paul United Methodist Church over in Grant Park with uh, Reverend Susanna Davis, one of my good buddies. And all of those folks had uh, deeply formed and shaped me. But there was something about this place that kept me coming back. And every time I had a chance, I'd sneak back in and just kind of sit down. And I remember again, when I first came through those doors, I looked around and being fresh out of the closet, I would never even been to a pride before. I'd never been to a gay bar before. I came to a place that I knew would at least feel somewhat familiar and feel like home. And that was church to try to again, make sense. And I had never seen so many gay men in one place at one time before (laughs) when I walked through those doors, my goodness. But as soon as I walked through those doors, I felt a sense of relaxation kind of hit me. And what I mean by that is there's something about this place, and maybe it's because many of us who are here know what the sting of rejection feels like. We know what that hurt feels like and what it feels like to be othered in a a way. Whether we're gay or straight or trans or wherever, whatever our life circumstances are, we all know what that feels like. And there's something about this place that intuitively says You can lay all that stuff aside. Do you. Y'all come. And that's, I think, what kept me coming back. And then a little bit later down the road, after I graduated, I wasn't quite sure if there's going to be a church I could serve at because even to this day, our policies here in the United Methodist Church are pretty exclusive when it comes to LGBTQ folks. And thankfully, we've had the bravery and courage of this congregation to say, you know what, we're going to live it right. And we're going to hope that the church catches up and does it right. And so that gave me an opportunity to serve, open, unapologetic, authentic. And I'm so grateful. And I remember one Sunday I came back and Jimmy Moore was the pastor at the time and and I was going through the handshake line and and he he remembered me and he said, now let me get this right. You're, You're that guy from Western North Carolina who is on the Deacon track, right? I said, well, yes, sir. That's exactly right. And he said, well, do you have a a church home that you're, because I know you're staying here in Atlanta, do you have a church home that you're a part of? Do you have a congregation that you're affiliated with? And I said, well, I'm trying to kind of figure that out. He said, we want you to be here with us. I want you to come here and be at St. Mark and be, we'll figure out what that looks like, but just come. And again, that was part of the beginning of this amazing journey that we've been on together. And that journey has taken a lot of different turns and twists and ups and downs over the years. And there was one particular point on that journey that was probably one of the lowest moments in my life. Looking back, it was also one of the most transformational and the most meaningful. But at the time, it was a pretty traumatic experience. And many of you uh, were there with me during that time. And that was when um, I was uh, dating this guy named Trent. And we were having a picnic in Piedmont Park. It was July 4th weekend, a number of years ago. And it was kind of getting dusk, and we were about to kind of finish up what we were doing and pack things up and and move on to the next uh, uh, stop of the night, wherever that was gonna be. And there were some teenagers that kind of started moving towards us. And as soon as they got within earshot, we started hearing anti-gay rhetoric, all the slurs, all the derogatory comments, and they kept coming towards us. And soon, all of a sudden, we were in this unexpected and shocking and surprising verbal altercation which quickly escalated to violence. And I ended up getting a couple of broken ribs and a a swollen and bruised face. And before too long, somebody knocked me down and held a gun to my head. And I thought that was the end right there. In the days after that, um, I didn't realize it when I was in the midst of it, but looking back, I was kind of going through some PTSD and trying to figure out how do I make sense out of this in my life? What what am I supposed to do about this? And one of my best friends of the world, Rabbi Joshua Lesser, who at the time was the rabbi at Congregation Beit Heverim, got together with some folks here in this congregation, as well as some folks that lived around Piedmont Park and other community stakeholders. And they put together a picnic in Piedmont Park in that same exact spot where that traumatic experience happened. And the purpose of which was to reclaim that space, not just for me, but for the whole community. Because when violence like that happens, it affects everybody. And they, the purpose was to reclaim that space and create some new memories in a place that had been such a source of trauma for many and make it a place of wholeness and healing once again. And folks, I can't tell you what that did for me. I was healed as a result of that experience. 150-some people came, games and food and music. Many of you were there with us, and that meant so much, I can't tell you, and I am so, so grateful. And of course, in the fullness of time here on this, my last Sunday as one of your pastors here at St. Mark, uh, perhaps it is the hand of the divine working in all things that made the scripture text for today the parable of the Good Samaritan. One of my favorite uh, stories from the mouth of Jesus. Because in that moment, for me, St. Mark was the good Samaritan. St. Mark was the one that stopped and set everything aside and came to me and helped bind up my wounds. And bring me to a place of safety and healing and wholeness. And I will never, ever, ever forget that. Because I'm a different person because of that and because of your kindness and your love. So that brings us to our text for this morning. And I'm going to invite you to stand either in body or in spirit as we read this text, which comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus, and he said, "'Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?' And Jesus said to him, "'Well, what is written in the law?' What do you read there? And the man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said to him, You have given the correct answer. Very good. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the man asked Jesus, And who exactly is my neighbor? There's that fundamentalism again. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead on the side of the road. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came by the place and saw him, also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which would have been two days wages, and gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. And Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And of course, the man said, the one that showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. These precious words hmm, are the word of God for all of us, the people and children of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, thank you so much for this wonderful, amazing church, St. Mark. Thank you for all that you have given us, and thank you for this time that we have together to reflect on your word and what it might mean for our lives and how we live, how we interact with others. And God, help me to say these words right today. Help the congregation to hear it right and above and beyond all. May we go and do likewise and live it right. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is probably perhaps the most well-known uh, of the parables of Jesus, uh, even though it only comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. And I think it's, it's probably one of the most well-known because the message is so obvious. <laughs> of course the one that showed mercy is the neighbor. Of course. And those of you who have ever been in a Bible study with me know that I'm on a lifelong crusade against biblical fundamentalism because it's always a dead end when we try to pin something down and fail to see the totality of the Spirit of what this tradition is all about, love, loving ourselves, loving our neighbor, and loving God. It's all in proportion to each other. But I think in order for us to really understand this story and even really understand what it means to be loved, we have to kind of place ourselves in the shoes of the man laying in the ditch on the side of the road in this story. In order to know how to love with any real genuine compassion, We know how to be loved. And of course, the most loving and the most good Samaritan is God, because God is love. Now, we're all human, of course, which means that inevitably, we've all had our hearts broken. We've all suffered and experienced pain and loss I'm a psychotherapist uh, by trade, as well as uh, clergy, and that's actually what I'm going to be doing full-time once I leave this wonderful space, is really focusing on that work that has been so meaningful. But I know as a psychotherapist that we need to be in touch with our pain. We need to understand it and try to work to heal it, because pain that is not transformed will always be transmitted. Transmitted. Pain that is not transformed will always be transmitted. And I know that from personal experience. The times when I've been at my lowest have been the times likely when I'm lashing out or saying or doing things that cause harm. But when I feel loved and feel supported, I don't have any need to deploy those protective measures. I'm not trying to protect myself in anything because I feel that sense of security and that sense of wholeness and that sense of place and, and belonging. And I think that's the work that we are called to do. There is a great temptation, I think, a lot of times to avoid pain and to escape into other things. And of course, we all have our vices. Yeah, I don't need to list them. I think you know who, what your vices are, I know what mine are. <laughs> but we need to sort of figure out what it means to allow ourselves to feel that pain and receive God's transforming love in our lives. The first neighbor that we must love is ourselves. And in that restoration process, oftentimes there are others. Henry Nouwen calls them a wounded healer who shows up in our path, who has some insight because of their own suffering. They are available and aware and can show up for us in a way that is different because they know what it's like. And then in turn, as we get healed, we too can be wounded healers and show up for others because there's, a, there's something about suffering that, and perhaps there's some necessary suffering that we experience as humans to help us really understand what is real and what is not. Because out of that suffering, it kind of has a way of separating out the things that are not important, some of that static, some of that fog, and making us aware of what is really important. And in the process of learning to love ourselves, capacity is opened up and we begin to see things completely differently. And life becomes a whole lot less about rules and process and procedure and more about living in the present moment. A lot less about checking off a list of correct beliefs in our brains and saying the right churchy words with our mouths and more about putting our love into action. And that's not me knocking belief, by the way. In fact, I think belief is important. It's kind of what convenes us here every Sunday. But at the end of our lives, And at the end of the day, perhaps it's not so much about what we believe in our brains and say with our mouths, but what we did with our lives. Not so much the talk we talk, but the walk we walk. And not so much what we think, but how we act. And not so much about the clarity of our mind, but the fullness of our heart. Case in point, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, we don't know a whole lot about this guy that was laying on the side of the road that had been beaten down. We don't know if he was a Jew or a Gentile. We don't know if he was rich or poor. We don't know if he was gay, straight, or trans. We don't know anything about him other than he was in deep pain and in deep need. And we had these three characters that came by. The first two, of course, were the priests and the Levite. Now, these were not bad people, by the way. This man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. These guys were probably coming from Jericho up to Jerusalem to do their priestly duties in the, in the temple. And in the temple complex, in the temple economy, you could not enter the temple if you were unclean. And one of the things that makes you unclean is if you touched a dead body. I don't know why that was the case, but that was the case at that time. And in order to get back clean again, you had to go through this elaborate process of of becoming clean again so that they could resume their priestly duties, and they didn't want to have to do all that. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but there are times where I don't want to fool with it either. I just want to get on with my day because I've got myself attached to an outcome. I want to see it happen this way, and I don't want to be disrupted, but... That means that sometimes we miss the opportunities that are right in front of our faces on a daily basis. And then, of course, that third person, the Samaritan, did see what was right there in front of his face. And he was moved with pity and felt a sense of connection with the suffering of the person that had been hurt. And he moved and put his love into action. And the scriptures tell us over and over and over that love is more important than anything else, certainly ritual purity. This is a story about being a good neighbor, and being a good neighbor is living a life of love. 1 John chapter 4 says, in fact, that God is love. So wherever we see or experience or show love, that is God manifesting in our midst right before our very eyes. From the tiniest child to the eldest senior, we all know love when we see it and when we feel it. And there is so much love in this world flowing all around us at all times. And yet, there are so many people that don't know what it means to feel love, that don't know what it means to be healed. Perhaps that's where we come in as people of the body of Christ. To offer those words of affirmation, those embracing arms, that sense of welcome, that's on us as members of the body of Christ to extend that into a world that needs it so bad and to see the suffering and be moved with compassion to put our love into action, to bind up wounds and to bring about healing and to go into the world unafraid We are participating in the very essence of God when we open our hearts up to receive God's love and healing. And in that process, we can, we can't help but expand our capacity to love those around us. I'm so grateful to you, St. Mark, for loving me, for teaching me what it means to be a pastor, for healing me and for letting me to letting me journey with you and and love you as well. I remember when I was preparing this sermon, I remember coming in here, nobody else was around and just sitting and just listening. And remembering other people who have gone before us who sat in various places, remembering weddings that happened right here, funerals, baptisms, all those precious moments that ministry brings. Thank you St. Mark. I'm forever grateful. In the name of the Creator, and the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.